A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, friends, and welcome to A Little More Good, the podcast where myself, Dean Morris, or Deaner, and my good pal, Zach Berman of The Juice Truck, explore themes that light us up. A Little More Good is inspired by community. Our intention is to create dialogue that is not only interesting to listen to, but inspires you to take what you've learned through the conversation and apply it to your own life in a meaningful way. So let's get to it. And together, we can create a little more good. Hello, friends. Today's conversation is with our dear friend, Alex Mazarol, or perhaps better known as Ali Maz. But before we go any further with Ali, I just wanted to invite you to stick around all the way to the end of the podcast where we share a word from an organization that means a lot to us and is doing a lot more good in our community, Mamas for Mamas. So be sure to stick around to the very end, do a breathwork exercise with Ali, and then hear from Mamas for Mamas. And until then, let's talk about Ali Maz. Ali is a yoga teacher, breathwork facilitator, and now she's an author And in our conversation today, we touch on each of those things and explore the woman behind the work. Ali shares about her journey coming from a dance background, dealing with burnout and an unhealthy relationship with food, to her discovery of yoga and breathwork. And we all reminisce about The District, a -a one-of-a-kind boutique fitness community she's co-created, as well as many other experiences, and some of which she touches on in her new book, Girlvana. Grovana is named after the retreats and workshops she created and leads for young women who are looking to discover, like Ali, what she's found in herself through yoga and self-love and ultimately service to others. So we hope that you enjoy this conversation. It was great to chat with Ali and catch up and hear some more of her story. 
So be sure to check out her new book, Girlvana, wherever you grab your books. And uh, without anything further, we give you Ali Maz. All right. Welcome back to A Little More Good. This is, we're doing something different today. Uh, this is our first Zoom cast because uh, we want to connect with all of the amazing people that aren't necessarily always in Vancouver. So today we've got someone that's very special to both of us. Uh, welcome to A Little More Good, Ellie Maz. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, we're so stoked to have you. Um, so stoked on your new book, which we're going to dive into. Um, for those that uh, don't know, uh, we met Ellie Maz. We met you um, when we first launched the Juice Track. Um, we were just joking before we went live that um, I think you and a couple other yogis like Megan Curry and Rebecca Walker, like the three of you, like single-handedly supported us in our first year of business. We're like, oh, yes. I would see you're like Mini Cooper because you could see like the um, reflection in the, um, the windows ahead of us and you'd always pull up behind the truck. We'd see your Mini Cooper pull up. Oh, yes. Ellie Maz is here. It's going to be a good day. <laughs> Yeah, illegally, <laughs> illegally parking behind you guys. I was there the, the first day you opened. Um, I showed up. I'll never forget it. Yeah, it was the best. And we didn't like have an Instagram or social media strategy, but I think our strategy was like take pictures of Ellie Maz because I think if you scroll <laughs> deep enough into our Juice Trek Instagram, like every second post is you drinking a green juice. Yeah, I mean, you kept me healthy all those years in Vancouver. So I, uh, yeah, those were the days. And and it was so cool because um, you know as we got to know you we were both we were both launching and growing businesses at the same time you had the beginning roots of Girl Vanna and and what would become a district movement in North Van so um, in a big way um, I felt like we grew with you I feel like we were partners in our in our businesses um, through all the events that we did and together and. Um, you know, just always bouncing things off of you guys, whether it was like naming a smoothie or creating an event. So um, just wanted to pass on some gratitude. So for, for you know, all of the, the business partnership that we shared uh, in those early years. Yeah, it was like always, how did you guys do this? And who do you use for your accountant? And what happens when this happens? And, and all of these, you know, new new ventures in, in our 20s trying to figure out how to make things work. And there were so many brilliant collaborations in there with all of us. And, and um, yeah, ultimately led to like all of these seeds being planted and what we're seeing now. So it's cool to circle back to that time and, and, and look back at, um, yeah, this history of ours. It's so cool. I love it. Well, I think we're going to jump all around and we'll probably get back to um, dist- district and, and juice truck and all the fun stuff we did together. But that's, um, let's rewind it back to, to Ellie Maz's origins of how you grew up, uh, what your childhood was like, what your teenagehood was like, um, you know, what your parents were like, and uh, we'll go from there. Cool. Um, so, okay, you grew up in North Van. I did. Well, I was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba, uh, and then I moved to Collingwood, Ontario. Uh, Well, first Toronto and then Collingwood and then back to Winnipeg for a year, back to Toronto for a year, moved to Vancouver when I was nine. Um, So we did a lot of hopping around. My brother, also named Zach, um, was born in Halifax. So we kind of had like a a Canadian tour uh, and then settled our roots in Lynn Valley when I was nine. And you were hopping around because dad was a radio host and he was working his way up, right? 
Yeah, yeah. It's the interesting thing about radio. So my father uh, retired, I guess, two years ago, but was uh, in the radio biz for about 40 plus years. Um, and in radio, you d- you often don't jump to stations within your city. He was sort of the rock radio guy. So he was at Q107 and Rock 101. And, and so you kind of shift from city to city. Um, so shout out to to Bro Jake for his prolific career. Bro um, Jake, yeah. It was so funny, Ali, reading reading the book and then that section where you talk about, you know, your dad. I literally was like, oh, my God, I remember that. I remember seeing that on buses, like in the city. It was so funny. Yeah, he um, so for, it's in the introduction of my book. But my dad, my dad's face was superimposed to Burt Reynolds playgirl naked body sh- shot like lengthwise across buses with a big Rock 101 ball uh, covering the crotch. And that was like you know, I was probably in grade 11, grade 10. Um, and that was like the bus that picked everyone up from school every day. <laughs> so it was like an interesting upbringing that that's for sure. Um, you what, know, being who my dad was. Yeah. Right. What every teenager wants is they're <laughs> yeah. rolling up on like a larger than life billboard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Cause I remember it like at that time you didn't even want your parents dropping you off at high school. Cause you know, everything was embarrassing. So knowing that having your dad literally pick up and drop everyone off <laughs> high school, like symbolically being the image on the bus is like, you know, that anxiety and um, probably times like a hundred of like your mom dropping you off in, in the, in the school parking lot being like, Oh, I hope, I hope no one sees me with my mom or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know the level of embarrassment was su- super high and you have to remember too. So that was probably like, late 90s early 2000s when you know we weren't listening to our phones like you know for music like music was coming from the radio and you had like three or four stations to choose from and most likely everyone's parents were listening to rock 101 for the most part and so it was like always the top of the conversation of what he said on the air he was very controversial and he was just everywhere for for a while there (laughs) yeah i woke up with project i think most of my, my peers did at that time he was the you know, turn on Rock 101 in the morning as I picked out my uh, my tearaways for the day, you know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Champion tearaways. Um, okay, so um, did you get, I know dance was a big part of your life and that eventually led to your journey in yoga, but um, what, what led you to dance originally? Were you active in a lot of sports or did you find dance quite quite early? I found dance like, yeah, really early when I was three. I think my mom put me in like ballet or tap or whatever you put kids into and then put them in their little pink bodysuits and tutus. And, um, and I just loved it. I just, I remember I have one memory of my mom dropping Zach, my brother and I off at T-ball and I just cried the whole time. And I just thought like, this is not for me. I want to go back to, to moving my feet in the dance studio. And so And then we moved quite a bit in that time. And so it was always sort of at a different dance school. And then when we settled into North Vancouver, found a great dance studio. And by the age of eight and nine, I was um, incredibly serious, probably like 14, 15 hours a week at nine um, and and competing in dance competitions and and ballet exams. And so things, yeah, were, were very serious, probably right at that time, fifth grade, sixth grade. And being so into dance, like um, you, you, speaking your book about um, the idea and the pressure of, of being or being perceived or acting in a way of, of perfection. Um, mm-hmm. Was that like a pressure that you, 
you inherited or learned through the expectations of dance? I think in some ways, yes, because so many of my friends played sports and, you know, you go to a soccer game and someone kicks a ball into the net and it's sort of like fair is fair. Someone won yeah. the game. With dance, you're, you're competing as an individual and there's so much subjectivity there from your music to your costume to all of who you know and all of these different things. And so I think from a really young age, you know, you get your little sheet now, I think it's all recorded and you just have three judges saying, ooh, mm, didn't like that. Nice arm here, but watch this. And you're just so used to at such a young age being highly critical because you are being highly critiqued. And so, um, and so much is about the way you look and the way your body looks and the way you're performing. And so um, dance taught me so much about discipline and hard work. I think it's definitely where my work ethic comes from, but it also taught me a lot about being hard on myself, comparing myself, because at the end of the day, you're competing generally not as a team sometimes, but for the most part against your best friends. Mm, for sure. And, and like, if you make a mistake in dance, like you're, you're, you're being judged and, and watched by your coaches, but also everybody else. Um, whereas in other sports, like I feel like, there's more of an appetite to learn from failure. Um, mm. There's, you know, take a shot, you miss it, try again kind of thing. But um, yeah. I mean, I never danced, but didn't have the coordination. But just from from the movies you see and how you, you see people kind of talk about dance, there's not that same um, understandingness to to making mistakes. Yeah. Does, that, does that feel true? or? I think so, yeah. I think that... Um... Yeah, it's less of like, here's what you could have done better, but it was like, why did you do that? Or, you know, and I, and again, I think, I think I talk about it in the book where I went to a ballet audition at age nine, like not, you're so lit, like you're just like a, just a kid, like a little kid at nine. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go in and I'm going to perform for all these judges and I'm going to do such a great job. Um, and the whole audition was just standing in your little ballet suit and tights and just turning your body a quarter turn every 16 bars of music. And then I made a cut. And at nine, it was so hard to reckon with this idea of like, but they didn't even see me dance. Like, what, what are they basing this on? And it's it, so, it, and they base it on the way your body is going to develop and, and how long your legs are and how short your torso is and how turned out your legs. So they would take kids that actually weren't great at dancing, but they had the right, what they call facility. And so I think that uh, my journey into, which I'm sure we'll get into body image and eating disorder. Um, it really started at a young age going, well, oh, I guess that I'm not good enough just based off of what I look like. And so it, the, I think those messages are shifting and changing in dance a little bit, but um, they're hard, they're hard things to, to understand at such a young age. Mm -hmm. I can, it's not, in some ways it's like um, how unfortunately the, the world works uh, even outside of dance, right? Like there's so much perceived judgment upon us for maybe the way we look or how we don't look or whatever it might be. And then we internalize those messages and carry them with us. And, and something that someone puts on us, like, Oh, your, your legs aren't long enough or whatever it might be. Uh, then we take that as like, I'm not good or I'm not good enough. Yeah. And I, there's like throughout, throughout the work that you've done with Grovana. And of course yeah, in the book, like you, you do a lot personally. And of course to facilitate for other young women, to like unlearn those patterns that that have been given to them. And maybe they're good, maybe the structure is good or the intention is good, but the side effect is that that harm of saying, oh, like as a nine-year-old, like I didn't even get to dance, I guess I'm not good enough. 
and like how that can derail someone, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. But it's interesting to hear that you have some, you, you recognize some of the positive traits that have like come out of it, like your, your dedication, your hard work. Oh, big time. I, when I, yes, 100%. I, there, there are so many positive things that, that came from that time in my life. And I really think what ultimately shaped me in being an entrepreneur and doing the work that I do and, um, you know, being able to balance a lot of things at once. Cause the reality is once I came into my teen years, I was basically just doing academics in the morning, leaving school in the afternoon, going to dance. And I was constantly juggling and I'm still doing a lot of that now in my thirties. Um, and I, I just, I, I feel really grateful that I, I was just constantly in this dress rehearsal of life in my teens trying to, trying to figure it out. So a lot of positives came from that and a lot of positive friends and people in my life at that time. And then some really poor role models, you know, that were, that were, um, you know, uh, kind of contributing to the eating disorders and contributing to the the cattiness and the gossip. And, and um, that also made me feel like, okay, I don't want to be this. I want to be a really positive female mentor for other young women. And so, um, you know, all of it was the, the, the story um, that started to build up into what would become Gravana. Hmm. Knowing, knowing what you know now and having lived through obviously uh, the, 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 the good things, um, and the hard things that happened as a result of your involvement in dance and kind of this like this uh, growing up atmosphere you were in. One of the questions that you pose is if you could go back and see your, you know, meet your 15 year old self or, or even nine year old self, mm-hmm. like what, what would you say? What would you, what would you say to yourself having, mm-hmm. you know, learned and gone through these lessons now? I think that one of the questions I ask a lot is, is like, who were you before the world told you who to be, right? It's this idea. And I'm sure we all have those memories of like a coach or someone says something and then you make up your mind and think, oh, I'm not good enough or this or that. And so I think going back to this, that, that little person was, um, it really killed a lot of my light. Like I just remember my mom picking me up and I think we went, went to Gap Kids and I bought this, our, my memory's so funny. I bought this like fleece jacket because I was so sad she bought me this gift. That's probably where my like addiction in my early 20s came to shopping was like, I feel bad. I mean, the thing, but we can thank Lori for that. <laughs> but I remember she took me to Gap Kids and I was crying in the change room thinking, you know, um, and it really did my light. And I think I would just tell her like you, um, oh, there's going to be so many opportunities in your, in your lifetime to shine your light and, and what is for you is for you. You know, and that's something um, Gian, my, my former business partner, who you both know very well, used to always say to me, like, if the train doesn't stop, it's not your train. And um, I really see now the older I get is like these opportunities that, that are a big yes, but, you know, they they show up when they're supposed to and the other ones that don't, they're not supposed to, that wasn't supposed to be my way. Um, and I have more evidence now to trust that, but at that time, um, I think that, yeah, other people's opinions of you are, are not about you really, or none of your business and, and keep shining that light. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably what I would have said continuously because so much of, of the dance career is rejection and anyone in acting or modeling or musical theater and brought up will tell you that it's a lot of rejection. Um, and I really made that mean I wasn't good enough. Um, and now I think like, okay, if it wasn't my part or my job or my this, that's okay. Something better is, is around the corner. Wasn't your trade. Mm-hmm. yeah Gian's got all the nuggets the guy's like uh got a little piggy bank full of nuggets of little one-liners <laughs> that he can pull out hey 100 100 
So I guess before before the dance, before the coaches, um, who who was Ellie Maz before all of that? I think. Um, you know, I look back to who I was as a kid. And again, we moved around a lot. And, and um, I just always found so much joy in nature and um, uh, just being outside and playing and picking flowers and building forts. And um, I think just a lot of um, just being quiet, actually, in nature. When I think of myself as a kid, that's a lot of what I did. Um, and really rediscovered that sort of more in my 20s when I moved back to North Vancouver and lived in Deep Cove by the water and, and the trails. Um, I really got back to her again. And I think that's so much of what we're trying to do in our adult life is reclaim that young person and, and, and really look at their gifts and what they love to do. And that's actually what balances our nervous system and helps us with our stress and our overwhelm is just getting back to the things that we love to do. Um, and most of it uh, is, is for, I think all of us is getting off screens and, and being creative and being in nature, but that was really, yeah, that's a big part of who I am. It's amazing how all of these, you know, we complicate things so much, but at the core, there's these simple truths like spend time in nature and, um, you know, that's where we find answers and that's where we find peace and happiness. And it's like been there all this time and we're building these like fortresses of distractions that, um, you know, take that away only to, to see that, you know, all we need to do is take a breath and take a step outside and, yeah. and we'll, we'll find what we're looking for. Yeah. Um, okay. So fast forward a little bit, you've, um, you know, graduated high school and um, you set off to LA to pursue a professional dancing career. Mm -hmm. um, kind of talk us through that chapter of your life. So I think in, in grade 12, all of my friends were, you know, applying to college and doing all these things. And I just felt so hell bent on, no, I'm going to go to LA and sign with an agent. I want to dance. I had all my eggs in one basket and, and that was it for me. Um, and so when I graduated high school, I was dancing with a couple of contemporary companies first in Vancouver. Um, and then I met one of my best friends, Megan Lawson, who is a, is a Calgary gal that lives in Los Angeles um, still. Uh, but I met her when I was 18 and, and, and her and I drove that same Mini Cooper um, to Los Angeles <laughs> and rented this house with this woman named Janet and just started auditioning. And um, I did sign with an agent and, and, you know, just was out there. And this, again, is like 2000 and gosh, five, maybe. So like, you know, the big auditions were for Janet Jackson and Christina Aguilera and kind of this, this you know, those, those pop days. Um, and for me, again, like dealing with yeah, lots of rejection, lots of highs and lows, I felt like I trained my entire life like a professional athlete, like to the level that you're training. And then you get to LA and everyone just wants you to just shake your ass in a music video. And I kind of just thought like, is this, is this it? Um, and I started to, I was young and, and felt like, you know, what most 18, 19 year olds feel like, oh, what am I doing with my life? is this it? Did I make the right decisions? And I just felt really overwhelmed and really out of control. And this is really where my eating disorder started because in most people with an eating disorder would tell you it's never about the food. It's all about control. And so I would, you know, come home from these big auditions, make it almost to the end, you know, and then get cut. And so it's like, you are like up here and then you're down here. And so I would just come home and binge and purge. So it would be just a way of not wanting to feel my feelings because that little nine-year-old, the not enoughness would feel that. 
the, the, the heaviness of what that was. And I just wanted to numb out. And a lot of, you know, I, I talk about it in the book, you know, when you don't want to feel the thing, we often numb or we run. And at that time I was numbing. I didn't want to feel the big feelings. And so kind of went on like that for a while. Um, and I kind of, as I remember the story or how it goes, I think I had to come back to Vancouver to get my wisdom teeth out and go to a wedding. And I think my mom just saw me and just went like, let's just, let's hang out in Vancouver. <laughs> let's relax a little bit and, and could just tell that there was something bigger going on than me just having a hard time dancing in LA. It was, it was bigger than that. Um, and at the time, this is a cool piece of, or fun piece of Vancouver history. At the time, my first ever boyfriend was Mike Robbins who's a big restaurateur in, in oh, Vancouver. Yeah. Big um, shot. big, big shot. Yeah. Uh, we were together from 18 to 23 and he was doing some stage or something in Australia cooking and he was coming home. Um, and so I wanted to stay and, and, and choose love at that time. And I chose not to go back to LA and I got better, better quote unquote of just, getting my eating disorder kind of in control. And I just, for the first time, stopped dancing in, I don't know, however many years. And I just thought, I just need a break. I need a break away from this industry. I wanna know who I am on the other side of being a dancer. And that's when I found yoga. I walked into my first yoga class um, around age 19. And um, that so begins the journey of yoga and, and really letting go of my, my dance career. Um, okay, so much to unpack there and, and move forward as always. You know, so many people struggle with eating disorders and body dysmorphia. Um, as, is there any advice that you can give to people that are, are currently struggling or are looking to, you know, find their own interpretation of, of feeling good? Yeah. I think for me, it was really understanding the root of why I was doing what I was doing because I was making it about staying thin to be a dancer, but I really don't think it wasn't that. For me, it was control and my life felt so out of control, you know, getting my work visa to dance in LA and my boyfriend at the time being across the world and missing home and wanting to feel like a grown up and still feeling like a kid and all of this push and pull. The only thing in my life I felt like I had control over was food. Um, and, and so understanding of that, okay, that was a control thing. And then understanding that I used it a lot to, to quell the sensitivity that, that I was feeling in the world. And, 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 um, once I found other ways, which that leads me into to yoga, but once I found other ways to feel my feelings, once I decided that, Hey, I actually can choose myself and that I can choose to be worthy without waiting for an external panel of judges or casting directors to decide that for me. That's really when things started to shift for me is, is the paradigm from being waiting for the whole world to tell me that I was good enough, that I got to choose that I was good enough. Um, and that really healed a lot of that control stuff that really healed a lot of um, that, but we can, we can get into that because that was really the inception of, of Girlvana. But I think anyone that's struggling with, with food and, and body image is like, which I think is most of us <laughs> um, is, <laughs> you know, um, really understanding, you know, why, why we're why we're we're either starving or or overfeeding ourselves is there's something in there that we're actually trying to that that's asking for us to pay attention to it, and it's rarely to do with food. It's so much more than that. Um, but I think it has a lot to do with just feeling worthy and choosing that for for yourself. Mm -hmm. Something that's supposed to be so like nourishing and life giving, 
for us, right? How we eat and and it's it's a it's an act of self care, right? It's not only an act of survival, but it's an act of self care, and and we can turn that into being something that's like either harming us or or we're trying to use it to like you say manage or mitigate these other feelings, and then we're not actually addressing what's going on, but but just compounding an issue or creating a new one on top of something that we're not addressing in the first place. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I talk about that later in the book. Um, and it's something that really, really helped me get us is, is this question, am I honoring or am I punishing myself? Because I mean, you know, we know that there is like juice cleanses can be really amazing, but at the time when I was really, going through bulimia and anorexia, I was using juice cleanses to not eat. And that was punishing myself for, versus honoring myself. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of things I was doing in my life that, you know, like a kale salad is a, is a great thing. It, it is incredibly nourishing unless you feel like you have to eat it because you ate something poorly the last night and you need to punish. And it's the same thing with exercise. Exercise is incredible for us. We all need to be moving our bodies, but not if you are, because you hate yourself and you're punishing yourself for the thing that you did before. And so when I look at food and juice and all these things that I love and exercise and yoga in my life, um, that's always the question, you know, why am I doing this to honor myself or, or to punish myself? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we know when we're punishing ourselves, the food, the exercise does not feel that good and the food does not digest as well. And, you know, it's the intention behind what you're doing. Um, is the most important thing. Mm. Because an externally, it can look like wellness. Oh, like totally. Juice cleanses. They always eat salads and this and that. And it looks like self-love and self-care when when really it's actually punishment. And so the only the only indication that we have is what's going on inside and then finding mm. people, whether it's a, a trusted friend, a counselor, a support group, whatever it might be, but finding people who can help you to actually get to the root of those things, I think is so important. And I think one of the beautiful things that you've created, Ali, is, is the Grovana and that, that it helps young women to get in touch with themselves and other people who they might think no one else is feeling this way. And then they sit in a circle of people and go, oh my gosh, like we're all, we're all in this, like we all experience this or feel this or might not be the same exact thing, but to see through through those moments of uh, letting the guard down and becoming vulnerable, uh, and then and then having an opportunity to to recognize that vulnerability is actually an immense source of strength, right? When we can yeah. and let it loose, yeah. Totally, and I think what's really interesting about the time frame of this because when I met Zach and Ryan and 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 when we talk about juice cleanses and these things, when I started to, uh, it was the first time starting to come out of that eating disorder. And when we talk about honoring um, ourselves through food, I could actually use these beautiful tools of, of you know, smoothies and salads and all this beautiful food um, and, and uh, have a different relationship with food. Um, and that took time, you know, and I think that therapy was, was a big one for me and, and having, um, and having yoga and showing up to the yoga mat every day and, yeah, talk about this too in the book, you know, the yoga studio looked like the dance studio. There was hardwood floors, there was mirrors, there were people, but what I was hearing was something so different. And the narrative I was learning through yoga was to listen to my body and not to push my body and to understand where the edge was and to soften around it versus push totally past it. And so I started to understand that I have an intuition and then I can listen to my body and know when my body's hungry know what to feed my body um, instead of just feeling like I'm carrying around this body that's not working for me. It's sick. It's injured. It's this, it's that. Um, so it actually helped me develop 
the relationship um, that I was so looking for all those years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of athletes would say, and dancers and people who are really physical, um, yeah, you're using your body, but that's sometimes all it is, is using and not actually listening to it. So you're right. It just t- t- touching on that first experience of yoga, uh, you, you write, one of the first things that you learn in yoga is how to breathe properly. When I was taught the power of breath, uh, it was as though something came back to me, a freedom, a place to exist. And I, I love that. Um, I think it seems so simple and so obvious. And yet many of us like overlook it. Um, or we don't necessarily think consciously about our breathing. We just do it all day, every day. We don't think about it. And when we're invited into a space like you were with yoga and someone tells us to pay attention to our breath and our bodies, um, we can uncover how much power there is. And you talk about the idea that, uh, or you say so many people don't realize or don't know about the power in our own breath. So can you touch on the, the idea of this, like this hidden in plain sight kind of superpower we have <laughs> with Pin? A lot of the work you do with them is is yoga and also breath work. So I know we're kind of jumping around, but in terms of your your jump in point to yoga, I thought it was so mm-hmm. The movement that captured you right away, it was being instructed on how to breathe. So wherever that leads. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, had had really bad asthma as a kid. Like I'd come home from um, junior kindergarten, which we had in Ontario. I was like three or four and would have to come home to a nebulizer, which is like that little breathing machine that you put on your face. And so um, I was really sick. Like a lot of my early memories were being in the emergency room and, and, um, always puffers and steroids and all of these things. And, um, my asthma sort of dissipated a little bit until I hit puberty. And when I was dancing really seriously, had some pretty bad asthma attacks from, you know, in the, in the studio and running off stage to grab my puffer and all these different things. And so, um, and we never talked about breath ever. I don't ever remember talking about breathing other than, you know, being in some hospital machine measuring my breath. Um, And so I think in those first few, you know, months of learning yoga, it was like, oh, I actually can deepen my breath and, and feel like I'm in control of my breathing. Because often when you have an asthma attack, it's similar to a panic attack where you just can't catch your breath. And it's really scary. Um, And so it gave me confidence to really trust my body. I actually think that breath was the gateway to start trusting my body and, and coming from, you know, being really abusive with my body through through dance and eating disorder, I definitely was not in trust with my body. So breath was just this like little key to start to unlock. Um, and when we're focusing on our breath, what we're doing is we're shifting into the parasympathetic nervous system. So we're actually shifting into rest and digest. So it became this really powerful tool then to start to calm me down and relax my anxiety to sleep better. Um, it was a tool when I'm having a tough conversation. It's a tool when you know, you're just sitting and waiting for the bus or whatever. It was just a way to start to get present. And at that time I was reading Eckhart Tolle in New Earth, which really woke me up. I was like, oh my God, this is some, this is like, it just blew my mind. And it, when you're breathing consciously, the thought can't exist. And so it was the quickest way to tap you into presence. And so I started to experience world, the world in a different way. Um, but the access was through the breath. And, and I think what we're, what we're trying to do in yoga, right, is, is to yoke, which means to, to find union between breath, body and mind um, and spirit or something greater, however you wish to define that. So I showed up to yoga as a physical 
flexible, strong dancer that wanted to just continue to compete. <laughs> and then I started to get this mind connection and this soul connection. Um, and then it started to really shift and change my life. But breath felt like I could belong in my body and in a place that previously had felt scary or foreign or again everyone had an opinion about it everyone had was judging it for my whole life and, and all of a sudden I could take up space and it could be mine um so that was a game changer um it's funny I, I read something about breath like we do we run we do these workouts and we take ice ice baths and ocean plunges and and the person in the article I can't remember who it was I, I'll, I'll try to look it up for the show notes um, but they're saying like all these things are actually just to create uh, vessels for us to breathe. Like, you know, when you run, you breathe harder. When you take a cold shower, you you breathe more deeply. When you jump into the ocean, you, you know, inhale and exhale. So it's like all these physical things um, that we're, you know, pursuing for our own wellness are just things that force us to breathe. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I never thought about it like that, but it's so true. And I, and now, I mean, I, I, I teach, uh, I'm teaching different styles of breath work now, interval breathing and, and active breath work um, in the work that I'm doing with Open, which is um, this mindfulness studio. We're currently online um, and will soon be in person, but uh, leading these breath work experiences and even teaching people breath retention, how to inhale, hold your breath, exhale, hold your breath out. And um, I'm, I'm a bad surfer, but I surf here in LA and, and, you know, you get held under by a wave and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm not panicking because I have an experience now of knowing I have enough oxygen in my bloodstream to, to maintain being underwater for six seconds, which feels obviously <laughs> so much longer when you're underneath. Um, but just in terms of my capacity and, um, and I, I don't take any asthma medication anymore and I haven't for a really long time. And I, I just think that, oh man, yeah, breath is, is everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's quick and it's easy and it's free. And if you're alive, you're breathing and then everyone can do breath work. So it's beautiful. Yeah, a few experiences, and, and I'll let you jam on this. Like, I've done breath work where I felt like I was on like on drugs just from breathing, like yeah. almost having like an out of body hallucination experience. To the opposite, feeling like stress or anxiety or our nerves, and just having one single breath and the power of that one breath to to ground me and to bring me present to to that moment and and to let me know that I'm okay. Um, so like two spectrums, like one breath to make, make everything all right to, you know, breathing techniques that will take you on a psychedelic experience. Um, yeah. can you kind of talk, talk to the power of breath and what it can bring into your life? Yeah. First of all, have you guys read the book, um, breath by James Nestor? No. It's in a, okay. Here it's right here. Probably people can't see this. It's, yes, <laughs> right here. it's by my bedside table. This is an incredible book and it really shifted um, <clears throat> the way I think about my breath. And he, um, he actually, I don't know if you've heard of this, but people tape their mouths shut at night so they can breathe through their nose. Um, and, and I didn't go as far as taping my mouth, but I really, really in this last year that I've read this book and super cognizant of my nostril breathing because I'm often a mouth breather. And I don't know a lot of us are when always waking up with allergies not sleeping well, not feeling rested. And I breathe through my nose at night now and I sleep consistently through the evening, um, which I never, ever, ever used to ever sleep through the night. 
Um, but anyways, really fascinating stuff in this book. He talks about how even like our, our teeth are crowded now because we're not breathing properly. It's shifted the way our jaws and our faces are developing. Um, but really we can use the breath and manipulate the breath and breathing patterns, which is what, you know, ancient yogis and indigenous people have been doing for centuries and centuries. Um, some can like be what you said, like very down regulative. So breathing through the nose, shifting the nervous system from fight or flight into parasympath parasympathetic rest and digest, um, which can be really calming, really cooling, really great for anxiety. Um, and then, like you said, we can have these like psychedelic breath experiences, this active breath work that you're actually um, in a really safe container, bringing yourself into fight or flight and creating a lot of resilience in your body. Um, and it actually has the power to alkalize uh, the, the, the blood, balances the pH in the blood. Um, oh, it's so fascinating, some of the, the things that the, that the active breath work can do, but really it's about creating resiliency, um, helps us process trauma, release some heavy stuck emotions in the body. And so I've just become a breathwork junkie probably in the last six months, seven months, um, where I'm practicing and teaching a lot and um, oh, just developed my relationship to uh, myself even deeper. Because sometimes I'm too tired to get on the mat and do yoga. And sometimes I'm way too anxious to sit in meditation. And for me, breathwork is sort of this middle ground where I'm actively in meditation. I'm getting a deep hit of presence. Um, and I feel alive, that sense of aliveness. And I think a lot of us have been searching for that, especially through quarantine and sort of being zoned out or numbed through screens um, mm -hmm. is a way to feel, feel more alive. It's amazing. That's, that's so cool. Uh, also James Nestor, I'm like going to get that book. <laughs> I think I'm, like, Do it. Yeah. Do it. But I love it. I feel like in the last, definitely in the last year or so, maybe year and a half, but uh, it seems like it's the topic of conversation among so many different circles, this idea of like breath work or it's in some ways it feels like the new yoga, right? Like everyone's yeah. now, everyone kind of knows what it is. It's normalized, right? Uh, whereas now breath work, which has always been part of yoga, like an integral part, uh, but now kind of as a standalone item, like how you just described it, it doesn't have to be done in yoga. It doesn't have to be done in meditation. It can be its own practice. Um, it's something that's like really capturing people's attention and imagination. And I think it's so awesome because it's immediately accessible to anyone who's alive because mm -hmm. you can sit every totally. you don't have to be necessarily like a fully able-bodied person although there is like you know uh, yoga for all bodies and everything out there but you, literally you can you can just be whoever wherever you are and participate in this and and unlock the potential that's so cool i'm even reminded yeah. in the hebrew tradition the you know there's um, the name of god is like that you can't say it, you can't pronounce it. And there's a lot of skeptical, or there's a lot of people who think, oh, it's because it's like too holy or revered. Like it would be mm. wrong for a person to say the name of God because to say someone's name, you like have control over them. There's another school of thought that is like, you can't actually say the name of God because the Hebrew yet letters, um, if you were actually to say them would just sound like, Yahweh. and it's like this, mm actually the idea of the divine is just breath and whatever however we believe about spirituality or, or this idea of god or gods or whatever but i think there's something so beautiful that it breath is not just physical but it's spiritual and really it's the very first thing we do and it's the last thing we do is to breathe in and breathe out and and we do it a million million times over and over 
all throughout our lives. And so why not tap into that and be conscious of, of that and like see where that can take us to like some crazy experience or simply just grounding us in the present. And so I'm excited to see like Ali where, where it goes and even where you take it with open and, and these other avenues that you're teaching and to kind of follow along. And yeah. Oh, that's so cool. That gave me chills when you were speaking in it. And, and that's, uh, it, it's, I remember having one really big asthma attack and, and really bad pneumonia. And as I was healing, I was in class. Um, with a Vancouver teacher, Christine Price-Clark. And at the time we were all teaching this style of yoga called Anusara, um, which was really deep into to, um, the co-creation of life and really being in touch with the divine. And um, the divine came through through the breath. And I remember I was, you know, sobbing uh, as I was often doing in yoga in those early days and at the end of class and Christine said, what's wrong? And I said, well, I'm having all this trouble breathing. And so I just really feel like the divine like can't reach me. <laughs> You know, I was like 22 or something. And she was like, you're going to be okay. The divine will find you somehow. Um, but it, it's an interesting relationship, I think, you know, coming from being so having awful asthma and, and really being afraid of my breath or not trusting of my body to now um, having this, this deep relationship. And, um, you know, we live in such a busy world and we don't have a lot of time. And I think like, you know, maybe you don't have time for a 90 minute yoga practice or to sit for 30 minutes. But I mean, how the, the state shift I get from breath work, 15, 20 minutes is, is incredible. And someone like my husband who he practices yoga, sometimes more works out and serves, but he's so tapped into breath work. And it's been one thing that he's really been committed to every single day. And um, it's been really cool to see, you know, how it's, how it's um, improving both of our lives. Amazing. I really like, um, shout out to the open app. I like that there's three minutes breathwork uh, sessions. I'm like, I can do three minutes, like no matter. And I've done them in my car. I've done them before bed. I just feel like three minutes is something that uh, anybody and everybody could do. And the benefit of such a short time um, is, is quite, uh, the bang for your buck is, is pretty good. Um, just kind of jamming on what Dean was saying there too. Like I find, and I think this is the same for everybody. Like you go to a special place or a holy place, like, going back to how you talked about nature, like you go into the forest and the first thing you do is kind of like take a big breath. Um, you go into like, like I'm just thinking of places that I find special, like going to like a bookstore or a library, you do like the same, you take a big breath and you like breathe in like the essence and the smell. Um, so um, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but um, I, I, I just think that, um, it can connect you in so many ways. Um, and and um, it can kind of take you to a time and place. Like when you were talking about the the spiritual nature of it, I was just relaxing and taking a breath and it would transform you to a forest or, or somewhere that was grounding and relaxing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think that's, that's cool. So, okay, here's where I was going. So for people that are new to this, um, are there any tips um, or kind of actionable items that people can can start with for breathwork? Yeah, I mean, I, I would hope that people listening right now have become more aware of their breath, just even in this conversation. <laughs> um, but I think two things, one is when you're breathing through your nostrils, this is, this is the way to downshift, this is a way to relax. So um, I do that often when I'm listening and I really wanna be present with someone, I'm, I'm breathing deeply. And, and I talk about it in the book, we call it holding space, sort of like a buzzword, like I'm holding space for you. What does that mean? 
um, when you're deep listening, also breathing deeply in your own body. And, and that's the greatest gift we can give anyone is our, is our presence. So, you know, we talk about breath work and all these different breathing exercises, but let's just simplify it to right now, slow your breath down, relax, drop your shoulders, drop your jaw, steady yourself in this moment. Um, there's so many different ta- types and styles of breath work. And um, what I love with what we're doing with open with the app is, is just making it so accessible from, you know, like Zach said, three minutes to, you know, these 30 minute experiences that you can really blast off and, you know, move some energy and, and feel some tingles and in, in your body. And um, so I think what we're trying to do with open kind of what Dean said, it's like yoga was the moment and then meditation was the moment, all of these ancient practices and breath work is definitely having a moment. But there's sort of where do you go for that? And I think that open is really creating a really premier experience around around breath work and something that I'm so, so proud of. You just pop your your AirPods in your ears and sit up taller, lie down, and you can shift how you feel in, in a short amount of time. So um, that's a that's a great place to start. So to rewind it back to to yoga, the, the origins uh, for for this journey. Um, so I remember reading and I, I kind of found um, like kind of the same way you talked about dance. I kind of felt that way originally about yoga. Like I felt intimidated or it wasn't for me or um, maybe just, um, you know, insecure with my inability to touch my toes or, or whatever. Like I wasn't looking at the holistic side of yoga. I was looking strictly at the movement and um, as someone that didn't identify as a flexible person, I was like, Oh, that's not a space. I where I feel um, welcome or not judged. But then I read your letter um, as you were getting into things that you wrote a letter to yoga. And I was like, that kind of shifted my perception and wanted, I wanted to be um, a part of what you were talking about. Uh, do you remember that letter? And can, can you talk about it if you do? Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that letter big time. Um, yeah, I wrote this letter, Dear You Yoga, years ago, probably before I started Girl Bond, like probably, yeah, in my early 20s. And I, and I put it in the book. It lived on this blog. I think I had like some yoga blog or something back then that I posted it that no one read it. But I just thought it was a, it was exactly what you said. People think they're going to come to yoga and, you know, touch their toes and sweat a little bit and go home, which you probably will. And, and those are really great things. Um but something else was happening to me in the yoga practice. I was like really trying to stay perfect and have the perfect yoga outfit and all the other things and tools that come along with, you know, the wellness industry um, and stay flexible and skinny and all these things um, that dance had taught me. And every time I come to the mat, I just felt so humbled. It's just like, just constantly being humbled and constantly almost like being pushed off this ledge of what I thought and who I thought that I was. Um, and, and something I, I've always said about yoga is what I, one of my, one of my deepest understandings of yoga is that what is false falls away. And all of a sudden, just these personalities, these things of who I thought that I was supposed to be, all of this perfectionism just kept falling. Like I couldn't hold it anymore. Even though how I tried so hard to hold on to, I just couldn't hold it. It just kept shedding these layers and shedding these layers. And, and with that, you know, I felt like you know, I was grieving my dance career. I was grieving then that relationship, grieving, you know, all of these things that I wanted and was becoming something else. Um, and it wasn't that I was attaining or, or piling on the like new identities. I was actually just cracking open what was already there. And that's what the practice does. It brings you back home to yourself, brings you back to what is true about you. 
ties us back into the who were you before the world told you who to be. Um, so it was really just this full circle for, for a moment for me. And so, um, you know, that letter, I think I ended of like, oh, I think it's yoga. I think it's all these things. But it was was me all along, you know, the true essence of who I was. <laughs> I was meeting each time. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to include it in the book because I just think it's just so much more and so much deeper than than being flexible or strong or having the right Lululemon outfit on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> does that tie in um with kind of the idea of the i am statement as well because yeah, exactly yeah like one of the things that i just that struck me right like you're here you've written this book for you know adolescent um self-identifying women to go through and and identify you know challenges in their life and overcome this and here is like a, a a white cisgender dude like i am what's wrong with the world right read it <laughs> being like, oh my gosh, like that's so refreshing and so important is to go, it's not, it's not the title. It's not the label. It's not the things, it's not even the things that I'm passionate about, but it's like at the core, who am I? And like you, you walk through that kind of list of like, identify the things that you love and the people that you love and this, and it's like this great exercise that everyone should do. Like you don't have to be a teenage girl to do it. And, and I think it's so powerful and you, you lead us, your readers, your, your, the people at your workshop into this, I am statement. You want to just touch on that for a moment? I think it's so powerful. Yeah. It's really something, like I said, when I was sort of losing all these layers, especially when you're in your early twenties and you're, you know, you, you know, break up with your first love and then the job or the thing that you thought was going to, you know, happen doesn't happen. And, um, you know, you, we get so overly identified, the brands we wear, the people, you know, the things that we do, the roles that we play and, and, ultimately, you know, the, the greatest teaching is impermanence. All of it is going to go, someone's going to die. Someone's going to break up with you. You're going to lose that job or whatever is going to happen. There, nothing lasts forever. Um, and so when you strip all of that away, I had no idea who I was because I thought I was a dancer. I thought I was so-and-so's girlfriend or I was, you know, a studio owner, all of these different identities that I've had in the past, but at the end of the day, they're just roles. And who I am on, on, on the other side of that is, is the truth of who I am. So what follows I am is, is really what you get to decide. And I think often when we're feeling like we're not enough, like I think about that little nine-year-old and I thought, oh, I'm not enough. There's really, you could insert the I am statement of, you know, I'm powerful, I'm joyful, I'm all of these things. And we forget who we are. Um, it's hard out there. We forget who we are. And so ways to remind yourself and, and, and them being self-chosen, I think is, is incredibly powerful. So good. So, so can you share, did, is there, a, is there a current Ali Maz I am? Um, mm, yeah. What did I, um, I wrote it down the other day. Um, I am, uh, a woman of integrity is something that keeps coming up for me. I am, I am, I've been thinking a lot about integrity of, you know, a lot of times people say they're who they are and then act differently. And integrity to me is, is being someone of your word. You are who you say you are. And there's lots of false idols out there. And oh my God, in the wellness industry, are you kidding me? Los Angeles? Hello. There's so many people out here 
snake oil salesmen pretending like they're, you know, there's someone who they're not. And so I think a lot of, of, about integrity and, and um, being who, who I say I am and practicing what I preach. And so I've um, been thinking a lot about that. And I, I wrote it down um, in my journal and I just like to, yeah, I have stuff where I have dry erase markers. I write all of my mirror and just where I can see. I want to remind myself of who I am I love it. because um, it's easy to slip, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. That's one of the things I loved about uh, popping into the district too. And when you had the physical space there, going to the, going to the washroom and the, the dry erase, like kind of love letters to yourself or inspirational quotes or notes or like little rebellious cheeky statements that were written on the, on the, mirror so you're looking at yourself but then you're identifying immediately with this thing it was awesome i love that i loved everything but that was super cool so for for those that don't know you are the co-founder of district movement um jim that was in north van um and just to give you props like i feel like yourself and katie gallagher at tight club like you guys were at the front uh like the, you guys were the pioneers of boutique wellness. Like prior to that, it was the big box gyms. Uh, there weren't check-in questions. There wasn't mindfulness um, in the workout space. Uh, I feel like, you know, you guys in our little corner of Vancouver had a big part of the wave that became what fitness is today. There was fitness looked very different. Movement looked very different before you guys kind of, you know, put your, put your claim in, 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 um, in the fitness world. Um, so firstly, nice time, nice, nice work. Um, but do you want to talk a little bit about the chapter of district movement, what district was and kind of what it taught you to who you are now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I will. First of all, I had lunch with Katie last week. Katie nice. is Ventura, close to me in Venice. So, so nice to see her. Um, oh man, I miss District so much. It was such an important chapter of my life. Um, I think District, when you speak about impermanence, that was like the truest teaching of impermanence in my life. And I think that was ultimately the gift we wanted to give our community at the end was, was that, you know, like every moment is precious and will never happen again. Um, and I think that we successfully did that. <laughs> like the whole thing felt like this big teaching experiment um, for people to really wake up to their community and to their lives. And um, gosh, it was the district came from, um, you know, Gian Pablico and I kind of circling around each other doing really similar work. I mean, G was in also in high schools and and working with youth and in fitness and CrossFit and working with immigrant youth and really deep in the work of anti-racism before it was cool and trendy. Like, you know, Jan's been in the trenches of this work for a very, very long time. It's so, so important to say that. And I really honor um, his work and what he, he taught me and was so much a part of growing what I, I have ultimately done. So, I mean, I could never, there's never enough words uh, for how I feel about Jan um, truly. I mean, you know, he was your basketball coach. <laughs> that's, that's right. Grade six um, basketball coach taught me everything I know about life. So, <laughs> I mean, again, the world is so wild. I remember bringing Jan to the juice truck. You know, I was like, these are my friends in the juice truck. And both Ryan and Zach were like, hey, coach. It's just like, what? Um, but we, yeah, so we were kind of doing similar things and, and started to do those things together um, in North Vancouver. And there was just a space across the CrossFit gym that we were renting and doing stuff out of. And we just thought, well, we, we probably could use a bigger space. And 
we thought we were going to be a youth studio. And then it was like, oh, okay, well, we have a lot of overhead and I guess adults can come too. And then it just, this thing was born. I don't, you know, we, we didn't have a plan other than know everyone's name, you know, and um, create a space where people could really feel seen. And, um, you know, we, we had an idea and then the community also really dictated uh, what that space was going to be about. And um, I think it's because of the work that we did with youth um, that allowed everyone to come into that space and feel seen and heard and, and feel playful. Um, and yeah, I don't know what else to say about it other than uh, I miss it. And I'm so grateful for the time that we had in that space. Uh, and to see everyone in the way that they've sort of blossomed from that space. So cool to watch. Um, yeah, it was just everything. It was truly well, everything. There's been an amazing ripple effect from the district, from the people that were your students to the people that taught there. Um, like there's so many, you can kind of see the influence and what's growing from it now. So um, it's, it's incredible in that sense what the what the trail, the positive trail of, of district movement is. Yeah, I remember it's uh, it's the place where I discovered and found a love for yoga um, because of you, which is so cool. Like I went out for a crush hush, right? It's just a kid yeah. workout and then yoga. And I was like, I don't know, like yoga. I don't know if it's my thing because, you know, 20 something year old guy you know, it's more for women or whatever. I had all this stigma and I just remember finishing the workout, grabbing a mat and a mason jar of beer, which made it okay. <laughs> and started doing these poses, which I'd heard of, but like never really done. And then I like, I literally can remember exactly. It was a beautiful summer evening and the way that the, the sun was like coming through the back garage door and the lights were off in the studio and your playlist was on fire like it was so good and i'm thinking like what this is it's and it's so loud like the music was so loud this is not how you're supposed to do yoga and then we went you led us through this beautiful practice which like halfway through i was like oh my gosh this is the best thing ever and then got us into the final resting pose shavasana and you had khalid's angels on oh, and yeah. no word of a lie uh, Alex, every time I hear that song, I'm brought back to that moment. And that was where I was like, I, I friggin' love yoga. Um, yeah. And so I like, that's an experience that stuck with me so, so much. And um, yeah, I wanted to let you know, cause like I say, uh, I hear that song, I think about you and think about the studio in that moment. And yeah, so impermanence, yes, but it lives on, like it lives on. Yeah. Yeah, waves don't die. Waves don't die. Thank you for don't sharing die. that. I honestly think that, like, when I die, my heaven is going to be like walking back into the <laughs> double doors of the studio at golden hour in Crush Hush with all of my favorite people. Like, I, I actually think that I hope God is listening. <laughs> That's what I want. Um, yeah, I think about it so often. I totally think about it so, so, so often. And, um, Man, what a place, what a place. Thank you for that memory. It's wild. I've been feeling really nostalgic lately. I think it's something about, I don't know, once the book, I've been writing this book for a long time. Um, <laughs> Zach knows this. Um, and as soon as it was released, I just like, I, I've been in such a forward momentum for so long. My gosh, we closed the studio. I moved to Nicaragua, then I moved to New York, then I moved to LA. Like I've been on this world tour 
got married, all these different things, joined a tech startup. Like there's just so many things that have happened in my life. Um, and I think I'm starting to feel more settled and more grounded in my life and slow, not, I mean, not technically slowing down, but set, let's say settled is the word. Um, and then you can kind of look back and I just think of that time, just like, wow, we really did that. <laughs> Those crush hush yeah. retreats you guys did were so special. Like every, everyone, I just cherish the memories. Like thinking of Ryan Slater, try to keep up with Cam or just like, just all the <laughs> juxtapositions of like, you know, party, meditate, like just everything, have mindful conversations, have silly conversations. Like it was just like such a yeah. beautiful experience. Um, yeah, you guys really nailed that. I hope that, um, mm -hmm. you know, being nostalgic at the same time as you, I, I, it'd be cool to do a throwback crush hush retreat in the future sometime, maybe in California. I'd love it. Yeah, I'd love that. I think that it really gave space for everyone to be human. And I think, you know, Jan didn't practice yoga before, really, before we met. And, and I certainly was not working out in those high intensity ways. Um, and then we kind of brought both of our communities together. And then it was just like, that's always my qualm with, with some of these yoga worlds or meditation or whatever. It just can be so dogmatic and so one way. And um, I think we just created a, a community of people <laughs> that just wanted to move and wanted to go deep, but also wanted to keep it light. And that was part of us, you know, throwing these big parties with a bunch of DJs and, you know, we just, we could, we could really do it all and speak to the, the humanness of, of all of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what keeps, keeps life going and flowing is, you know, your ability to sort of come in and out of these things and, and ride the wave. And, and that, that's totally what we were all about yeah. and still are. We just do it in different ways now. Yeah. It's community. You're curating and creating community for people. And it's like the excuse was, yeah, come and sweat. But really it was like the before and the after nobody, everyone showed up early and everyone left late because they were, <laughs> yeah. were there for each other in the community. And I think that's so special what you guys created. Yeah. And continue. Yeah, we could only have one. Yeah. We could only have one class on a Friday because Crush Hush was <laughs> 90 minutes, but really it was like a four hour experience <laughs> for everyone. <laughs> Oh, so good. So, so many, so many good moments. So yoga from, from obviously getting you back on track, centering on yourself, finding this like core of who you are, what we would say now is like maybe your, your I am statement, like this identifying moment, um, creating something amazing with, uh, with G, with the district and empowering so many people to experience yoga, maybe for the first time or to experience it in a new way. And then what, what, uh, what comes next? Like what's the next part of the story that you would tell in terms of maybe like specifically with Gravana? Cause that was birthed out of the district as well, right? It was right before the district. Um, but yeah, it really found its roots um, once we had a physical location, but when I was 24, so 10 years ago, um, I had done some volunteering at the Looking Glass Foundation, which is an eating disorder uh, 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 nonprofit in Vancouver. And I was working at their camp. So girls who were in recovery teaching really simple breath exercises, a simple movement. And I just thought like, wow, I had been leading yoga retreats for adults. And, and I just thought like, I have so much to say to young people particularly myself as a young person. And um, I just sort of felt like, yeah, if someone taught me how to breathe at 14, like my life probably would have looked differently. If I would have had an outlet journal prompts, other girls to have these conversations with, like what, what would have been different about my life? And 
Um, at the time I was, I had led a couple yoga retreats at Bodega Ridge, uh, on Galeona Island. Like, you know, this is in 20, whatever, 2007 and eight. And I asked Jesse, who's the owner, I said, can I bring a bunch of teenage girls here? And he was like, sure. <laughs> and so I did. I started Girlvana, um, th- that year. And I was just teaching at high schools, dance studios, wherever there was teenagers. I just kind of was knocking down doors and, um, Jillian Danborg, a friend from Vancouver created my first logo and I put a website up and we had girls that came from BC and Alberta, people like traveled to come to the retreat. I couldn't believe it. Um, and led a one week long yoga retreat for teenage girls. And it just grew from there. So I would say, um, the district opened 2013, I think, or yeah, 14, maybe January 14. Um, so yeah, I was sort of trucking along for a few years there, but then Girlvana had a home Mondays and Thursdays at four 30 and, and girls were, were there after school and with varsity GN's program. And so, um, that was sort of the the thing I wanted. I was kind of sick at that point previous to district of just teaching at, you know, bigger yoga studios and people that, you know, adults and whatever, it was fine, but I had more to say and, uh, and more to do when I really wanted to incorporate conversation and journaling and bigger conversations, you know, that we talk about in the book around body image and consent and anxiety and depression and all of these things. And I think what's really cool about the book, which I didn't anticipate is how universal these tools are. I mean, I know they're universal, but I've had a lot of men read this book and go like, I know this book maybe isn't actually written for me, but it is. And I think um, I wanted to write a handbook, you know, can you open any page of that book and find something that's going to help you in the moment? And so many spiritual books that I love really do that for me can open up any page of the untethered soul and go like, ah, yeah, that's, that's what I needed to hear today. So I really wanted the book to do that. So I started writing the book five years ago because of Zach um, introduced me to to Robert, uh, who's from Penguin Random House uh, in Vancouver. And um, so I owe a lot to, to that initial uh, conversation, Zach connecting me via email um, when the boys were writing the cookbook. And I think I set out to write sort of like a cute teen girl's guide to yoga and then so much changed in the world, in my life, you know, like politically, climate, civil rights. Uh, I just, there was more for me to say. And I think that this book coming out in 2021 feels like, you know, it's been 10 years of Girlvana. Um, and and I wanted to say more than, than something kind of cute. Hmm. <laughs> and you do. <laughs> it's powerful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the book really is for you know, reading through it, it really is for everyone. I got a lot, of, a lot out of it, having two boys, I was like, my boys need to read this book. And I was just thinking about, you know, obviously you've always been on this wave, but if Girl Vanna was in every elementary school, every high school, I feel like the not only would the world be a better place, but young people would have a happier, easier existence in, in navigating who they are. Um, so I really hope that I know, like how many Grovanas are there now? There's, you know, there's, there's teachers, you've kind of onboarded this, this family of Grovana yeah. teachers, like it's everywhere now, right? Like, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've trained teachers for the last however many six years, and I think there's been like a hundred people that have come through those trainings, and they're in like Scotland wow. and like, you know, all over, and, and girls have flown in over the years too that that are, are from all over the world, and so you know, it's just like these little little seeds, and because I've been doing the work for so long, you know, I know girls now who are who were fourteen and now they're. 24 like I, I've really had the privilege of of watching these young people who I'm sure both of you have really, I've met at some point because they were running the front desk at district you know when they were 16 and, and and now they're like grown adults out of college being incredible humans and over the years I've got to just really hear lots of stories on you know the the impact of that work at, at that at the age that they were at and, and how it sort of shifted or, or empowered their journey and I think so much of gosh, if I would have had something like that at that time in my life, how things would have looked differently for me. So that's sort of the motivator and what, what keeps me going. Mm. There's a, there's a concept out there. It's like kind of, it's a little, a bit of a spiritual concept, but the idea is like the, the wounded healer. And uh, it came to me as I was reading this book and spe- specifically the story you tell about the young woman named Sharice and the experience she has uh, showing up to, the retreat and some of her just uh, body language and the way that she was showing up to the mat for practice. And then on the third or fourth day, uh, she shows up in a different kind of way, different energy. And you picked up on that. And I mean, it's so beautiful the way you tell the story about how she revealed, you know, she had had some like cuts and scars on her arms and through through the winding down and the you talk about consent and consensual touch in yoga but you're able to like place your hands on the areas of her arms that she had cut and it is it's such a powerful image of how in some ways it's like full circle that you as someone who maybe not physically but was wounded through you know teachers and judges and dance competitions and trying to be perfect and trying to show up as someone that you're not. Um, that when, when this girl Sharice showed up more authentically as who she was, like you saw her and it was through her wounds, through her scars that like healing was able to come. And I just want to reflect back that even in this conversation, as you had said, you know, um, as an adult now you can look back and see, okay, I gained this like strong work ethic from dance and all this, but there was still this kind of like dark side of what happened. And I just see like such a redemption Allie in you that you've been able to take the things that have been hard in your life or that have caused you wounds. And rather than turn away from those, you faced them and went in and did the hard work and now are offering an opportunity for others to be healed uh, through through the wounds that you had that have, have been healed, right? The wounds to scars and now through our scars, we can offer support and healing. And I, I like to, to me, that story is just so, if there's one story that is like, this is why this work is important. Um, to me, I was like, that's just beautiful. So I just want to say thank you for sharing that um, and thank Sharice for obviously making that story available because I, to me, that really sums up why this is important and why young women and really everyone needs to face those things and and have someone see them for who they are and not judge them, but offer support and healing. So yeah, that was really, yeah. really powerful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That, I mean, that moment is a moment I'll never forget. Um, and I think so much of, you know, it's like, what's Girl Vana about? And what are you doing on these retreats? And then everyone wants to figure it out. And 
really when you distill it down, it's just bearing witness. You know, I think that's really what all what we need. It's why we we are in friendship and relationship and um, is to bear witness to someone's life and, and, and feel like it matters. And in that moment um, for her, you know, I, I see a lot uh, with young people where they, they cut and they self-harm and um, and those scars were, were healed, but they were all over her arms. And so she was covering them for the first few days. And then she just showed up like just here I am. And um, yeah, I got to, yeah, consensually place my hands on her arms and her scars. And, and it was, there's so much that can also just be said through touch when you, there's nothing else to say other than you matter. And that's really what I'm trying to do, you know, is, is just to affirm that in, in everyone and, and, and particularly in the, the coming of age experience where you're just like rocked by who am I and what am I doing for someone to, to be there and, and um, just talk to you about it all. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, that those four walls on Galliana Island, Bodega Ridge have seen some pretty heavy and incredible stuff and some big, big healing moments um, that, yeah, again, the nostalgia and just like, it, yeah, it's hard to, to, I mean, I remember it all, but to really feel, feel it all is a lot. It's mm. just, yeah, the work itself is just wild. Yeah. Precious. It's so precious. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And so needed. There's such a, there's such a need for it in, in today's world. I mean, even just thinking about this last year, right, that we've lived through with the pandemic yeah. and all of the effect that that, like, we don't even know um, how it's yet. And so the, no the importance of this work going forward, I think is just, is so, it's crucial. It's crucial. Yeah. Um, how, kind of just jamming up on this, how you've always held space for so many people. You've, you've listened, you've nurtured, uh, you've been their ears and their shoulder. How, how do you stay grounded when you're so present in taking on other people's energy? Uh, it's really something I still ha- like, I'm not always great at, at in terms of taking care of me. I've, I've, I've gotten so much better at it. I think in the early days, um, I think a lot of people can relate to this when you're just so passionate, you just want to give it all away and give it all away mm-hmm. and give it all away. Um, and then you get tapped and burnt out. And so, okay, wait, how do I balance this? And, um, for me, it go. There's a few things. One is is nature. It comes back to nature. Like I just, you know, have these. Ba- I would come home from a week of retreat with all these stories and all these things. It's really hard for anyone else to sort of understand, you know, like share, you know, elements of it. But it's it's a lot. So I think nature can you can purge it and, and be held um, and reground. Water is really big for me. I swim a lot. I'm always in the ocean. Like there's just something. And if I can't get to the ocean, it's it's having baths but there's just something about being held in in water that is really healing and rebalancing um and then having someone else to hold you like i am a mentor to young people and then i also am mentored um and so having people that can support you um in in these bigger bigger things so i'm holding space i want to make sure that i have someone to hold space for me as well um but i would say those are my two biggest things is nature and then um someone that can hold me too. Hmm. therapist spiritual teacher um 
my husband, <laughs> you know, and just getting out of the work too. You got to get out of it. I can't always live in it, you know, like that, like I need to also go and have fun and, and be human and then, you know, get away yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. What does, uh, we talked about this earlier. What does being light mean to you to balance out mm. all of the, the heaviness of life? What does it mean to be light? Yeah, I love that question. Um, It's like to be silly. I mean, I grew up, I mean, my father's an entertainer and comedian. We just grew up always laughing and we have a million inside jokes in my family. And I think like lightness is laughter and joking. And that's something that I I always always loved about G and and who we hired at the studio. We we were always laughing or pranking or just do it like, you know, just doing things that that are fun and funny. I have a new relationship to dance. I think when I left dancing, it was so hard and I never really danced. And then the district with like parties and things like that brought back dance in my life, which um, I love. And yeah, just just being silly, playful. And my husband is, is an artist and he makes a lot of artwork at home and I'm not good at painting, but getting my hands dirty and like being messy and being playful. Um, those are just elements that I, I love. And I'm sure you guys get to do that lots because you have kids, but like, mm-hmm. you know, doing things that you, bring you back into that childlike mind is so key. Yeah. Tina, I've got a few more questions. Do you have a couple before we um, go into some some rapid fire? Oof, let's, uh, let's, let's do it. I mean, there's always, there's always questions. <laughs> on the table but then you know there's always part two there's another conversation down the road let's do it i could sit here all all day with you guys <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> likewise yeah hopefully next time in in, uh, in person so we can uh yeah. have, some, have a little dance off together <laughs> Come way that way we can go to the beach and yeah. after okay yeah, please cool. I, i'm right here i'm right here in venice so close to the beach Okay, I've got some like bigger, harder, harder, heavier, lighter ones before we have some silly ones. Um, what does love mean to you? Oh, I've just been thinking about this actually. Uh, I just spent three days camping with my husband. Um, I think uh, someone told me a really long time ago that that love needs to be rooted in freedom, otherwise it's not love. Uh, and so I think that love, um, is, is freedom, ultimate freedom. And I think that when it doesn't feel that way, then it's love with condition. We hear like unconditional love means love without conditions. Not if you do this or act this way, then you get love. That is not love. Um, and so to me, love, ultimate love is, is freedom. So good. Um, I know girl Vanna is called girl Vanna, but what message do you have for young men, young boys out there? Mm. You know, people have always asked, why isn't this for everyone? And why? And I just said, I don't know, like 10 years ago, I just wanted to speak to the female experience because it's what I know. But um, I think I really got to see a lot of the other side of this with the work that we did with varsity with with boys and, and um what I, I see so much with young boys is just really not no permission to, to be emotional, no permission to show the softer side. And, um, and I think that's shifting and changing because men like you exist and and our fathers and and get to lead the way. So I feel inspired by that. But I think that, um, 
I really see that young men don't have the opportunity to be, you know, the patriarchy is, is, is toxic, not just for women, it's toxic to all genders. Um, and just as much as it holds women in a box, it holds men in a box. And so I think that um, for me, like for, for young boys to, to be able to tap into their emotional side and not feel like that's weak or wrong or, or all the, that narrative. Um, I'd like to see that go away because we're all human. We all have an emotional capacity. We're all allowed to show it and process in our own way. And um, it makes me really sad that that young boys don't feel like they have that opportunity. Yeah, thank you for saying that. That's beautiful. Um, and then, I mean, we've covered this, but like in a sentence or, or, or two or three, um, what would you, what, what advice do you give to young girls other than pick up your book and read it? <laughs> Um, I mean, the tagline for, for Girl Vaughn has always been the world needs you to be you. And that really hasn't changed. And I think I just grew up thinking like, oh, if I just changed this little piece, or if I just had this outfit or this thing, you know, that's, that's what capitalism does to us. It's just like, keep buying, keep, don't pay attention. Oh, you feel bad. Here's all, keep buying this and this and this, there's always going to be a way to be better. And, um, it's just all false. It's just so false. I mean, who you are is already it. Um, there's nothing to gain outside of you it's actually what to uncover within you and so if we even just took the tiniest bit of energy shift from trying to present ourselves in a certain way and be perfect if you actually shifted it inward and discovered about yourself there's a whole world that is so rich and that's what I was really trying to get with the dear yoga letter is like you've just been it the whole time everywhere you go there you are (laughs) and and what you want and what you need it's just right here and it's always been it's always been right here truth i love it um where is ellie maz in five years Mm. i want to i really want to have a family um i you know i i don't totally buy into the narrative of like the clock is ticking but you know i am in my 30s and my whole adult life and even as a teen i would say like your girl was working (laughs) like really you know, been been creating and creating and creating, and and I want to create a little bit more of you know on on a home level. Um, so I feel really called to that um, to be a mother. I think for so long I have mothered um, young people mm-hmm. and and been Absolutely. you know always in the space of nurturing. So I haven't felt the call to mother uh, you know sooner, but it's starting to. I'm starting to feel that that um, that that's it's time for that and, and what I want. I don't want to put a timeline on it, but, um, and you know what? I really love being in California. I was in New York for two years and New York is amazing, but being on the West coast and as quarantine and border restrictions ease, like I want to be able to just really freely come to and from LA and Vancouver and be with my family more. And, um, and uh, you know, there's this, there's a few more books in me for sure. I mean, Lady Vanna yes. was, was, uh, the women's retreat that was born out of Girl Vana because all the women in my life are like, I want to come. Um, so I've already started writing that book. It's slowly piecing it together, but that's that's yes. what's next for sure. Okay, I got one last big one, and then I'll let Dina take it and see if he's got some big ones before we do some light ones. Um, what does God mean to you? Hmm. I, uh, I think that the, where I feel God most, I'll start there is, um, is in nature. Like nature is the greatest 
teacher for me um because you just see life death life constantly like it's just constantly showing you impermanence and beauty and and, and trusting the timeline um and so i'll start there is like i i god is in nature like if i i, I feel disconnected or dis yeah disconnected from source um i go to nature first to to remember um but you know god to me like isn't like sky sky daddy in the sky yeah. <laughs> white man with a beard, you know i what? don't feel him, him that way yeah <laughs> it's okay we do it. and that's okay no. Um, but to me, it's just this source, this source energy. Um, and, and I think that every day to witness it and, and witness God and everyone else is the goal. Yeah. And in yeah, I, I use that word loosely. It can be universe, source, yeah. energy, yeah. Whatever, whatever, whatever you define or feel. Uh, Dina, you got any big ones before we do some, some silly, some silly ones? Well, uh, I'm just I'm just being mindful of our of our time, so let's jump in for uh, for our rapid fire and just see what see what we can get. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, um, Zach, I'm going to steal one of yours because I think you you may have already given it to us, Ali. But uh, what's what's one book that if you were if you're going to gift it to someone today, what would you what would you give them to read? So, I mean, breath breath is a big one. I want you all to read that. Um, but I would say, yeah, I think I've dropped a few of them. A New Earth was a book that really woke me up. Untethered Souls, another one. Um, and then if I had to choose one more, um, and, and uh, Women Who Run With the Wolves, I know a lot of women say that that's sort of like their Bible, but, um, that was a book for me that took me a really, really long time to read, um, but really gave me, uh, more permission to be my wild self and whatever that meant, whether that was being in nature or, or dancing on top of a table. I don't know if that's what she meant by that, but that's how I took it is like really just exploring the full range of, of my capacity to be myself and take up space. Awesome. What's your favorite slow jam? Cause I just think of slow jams when I think of crash hash. <laughs> I, I think I, I think I have to say uh, Mario. Uh, yeah. You should let me love you. It's the only uh, song. It's the song. That's, that's it. How we ended it. That was the last song we ever played in that space. Yeah, I was hoping uh, you'd yeah. say that. <laughs> I think I think one time driving up to uh, Whistler for for the Wanderlust, we probably listened to that like I don't know sixty times. It was amazing. <laughs> Uh, it's yeah, it will forever be the song. It's the jam. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, one date spot in Vancouver and one in LA. Mm, gosh, okay. Date spot in Vancouver. I want to say like, like a sun. I want like I want to be like at Third Beach at sunset with like a little little picnic or I think it's like the beach, um, or like eating ramen. I miss like Vancouver food. Mm. I miss like Asian food so much. Ramen, like going to to ramen would be. I'm craving that right now. Um, and LA, it's so interesting. We moved here like really, really when LA was on the rise. Like we were in full full lockdown, but. Um, we just went to a really cute little bar restaurant, um, super fresh food and really nice wine list called Dudley. It's right on the boardwalk. Um, we rode our bikes there. That's a cute spot. Uh, a few role models you want to give shout outs to? <sighs> 
When I first started practicing yoga, uh, I was at uh, Yelltown Yoga before I became Y Yoga. Um, and Shawnee, Christine Price Clark, Megan Curry, Clara Roberts Oss, uh, those women uh, were my, my teachers and really uh, inspired me to be to be a yoga teacher. So I think of my early days in yoga, it was, it was them. So they're definitely big role models to me. Um, and yeah, really directed that, um, to bring that out of me. And I, have you guys met my mom? Zach, yeah. you've met Lori, right? Of course. Yeah. My mom, um, is just the coolest and she's so effervescent. Hmm. She's the kind of person you always want to be around. And she really does a beautiful job of making everyone feel seen around her. And um, I mean, she's the ultimate space holder. This is a really quick story, but in grade five, I really wanted this baby blue puffy vest from Gap Kids. I love Gap Kids. And uh, it was pre-internet days. So she had to call the operator and like find all the Gap Kids. And in that time, the operator had opened up about this story and how her son was like going through addiction and was in rehab and coming out. And I was like, how does a woman call for a phone number for Gap Kids with the operator and end up in this story? And that's just so who my mom is. And I have a lot of that in me too, where people are just like, want to tell us their whole life story. Um, But she just really allowed, yeah, people and still does, allows people just to be themselves. And um, that's really inspired me. That's awesome. Shout out to Lori. <laughs> Shout out to Lori. What's your favorite way to move other than yoga? Mm, yeah, great question. I, I've been surfing and um, I, I don't know if either of you have surfed or surf. It's the most humbling thing to be in that ocean and not be in control. Um, so yeah, definitely surfing is, has been so energizing and, and beginner's mind, like to, to do something you're truly just bad at is so important. <laughs> so I think, um, surfing and I have this like really old beach cruiser that I bought on Facebook marketplace that I, I ride my bike up and down Venice Boulevard and it's about a mile to work. And I, yeah. So I joke that I'm a cyclist and not, but I, yeah. <laughs> I, love it. I go so slow and I just, yeah, that's surfing and biking. They're like a true West side LA gal. Beautiful. Okay. Any, any, any podcasts um, that you're tuning into that uh, are bringing some, some joy into your life? Um, I always listen to Tara Brock, who is a Buddhist meditation teacher. I just love, like, there's just something for me every day when I'm I'm brushing my teeth. Um, And then I just, I wish I wasn't like this, but I, and this is embarrassing, but I love (laughs) Dateline, I love Dateline NBC. Nice. I love a good murder mystery. And I know I really try to not populate my mind with that stuff because it's like life is scary enough. And as someone who is, you know, I talk about in the book of had a home invasion. I really did not listen to any kind of murder mystery stuff. I don't know what the psychology is there, but when I clean my house, I like to listen to Dateline. So there you go. Secrets out. Secrets uh, out. <laughs> Dina, you want to you want to close it out with our, our final question? Our final question. Okay. <laughs> um, well, how how much time do you have before you have to sign up? Like two three minutes. No, I'm good actually. I just got a text, so I have I have a little bit more time. Okay, I have like till one fifty. Okay, well, we'll still want to be mindful of that, and 
one of the things that we love to do at um, A Little More Good is give our our friends, our listeners, um, an opportunity to reflect on on what I mean. So I'm going to ask you, what does doing a little more good mean to you? I think that we get really caught up in like, how can I make the biggest impact possible? And, um, I, one of my spiritual teachers right before I started district said, you have two options. You can go like what all my other yoga teachers were doing, traveling and flitting all over the world and teaching and doing all the things, or you can stay. Um, Cause district was sort of on the table and she said, you can stay in your corner of the world with your community and, and do not and do some real work here. And I thought, well, no, like I want to go do the yoga liberty thing and everyone else is doing it. And I, and, you know, I had to really question like, what, okay, what do I really want? And um, to me, that's what the, that was, was just a little more good and what, where our home was, what we were doing. And um, like I said, our business plan truly was just to know everyone's first name <laughs> and be able to recall it. And to me, that's a little more good of just, making someone feel seen and it's the same thing I was doing with with Girlvana and now what I'm doing with open is like if we could just wherever you are find what you love to do and teach and what your passion is and just create a moment in someone's day um that can hopefully shift it um you know it's the little stuff that leads up to the bigger stuff and and to me I think that's what a little more good is it's just these little moments and 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 being in your community so good. Thank you. Thank would you, you. Uh, would you be willing, I'm going to put you on the spot. Would you be willing to close us off with just a short breath work exercise that people can take and they can yeah. roll to the very end of the episode. And if they're feeling anxious or yeah. sad, and they can just tune into you and, and have an experience. And then we can encourage everyone to go check you out on open and as well yeah. be a little teaser for yes. it. Awesome. Yes. Okay. So what came to mind was box breathing because you can do it anywhere and, you know, no one will know that you're doing it and you can, you know, be in your car. I just, you know, I don't want to teach you something where you can't operate your vehicle. So, um, so wherever you are, whether you're, you're sitting up nice and tall, which I'd love for you to do, or you're lying down. Um, and if it feels safe or comfortable to you, I'd love for you to close your eyes and right away just become aware of the breath as it enters your nostrils just notice the intake of breath inhaling and exhaling and that's the first part of this is just noticing i am breathing this is what it feels like in my body and then meet me on the exhale so the next time you exhale empty your lungs entirely and then we're going to breathe in for one two, three, four, hold your breath, two, three, four, exhale, two, three, four, hold the breath empty, two, three, four, inhale, two, three, four, hold your breath, two, three, four, exhale, two, three, four, hold your breath, 
two, three, four. Again, inhale. Hold it. Release it. And hold it. Last round on your own. Let your mind follow your breath. Relax as you exhale. And for this last one, hold the breath out. And then you can release that breathing pattern and come back in just a normal inhale and exhale, hopefully with a deeper awareness of how it feels to breathe. That's called box breathing, four counts in, hold, four counts out, hold, simple, do it anywhere. Obviously, don't close your eyes if you're driving. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> but a beautiful way to calm down. That's something that's down-regulative, that can relax and help with um, anxiety and stress and, and overwhelm. And we can, four or five rounds of that, just a nice little way to shift your state. I feel a little more good just from that, so thank you. Good. <laughs> All right. So for those wanting to follow your journey, um, where can we find you online, on Instagram, and where can we find your book? So I'm at Allie Mavs on Instagram, A-L-L-Y-M-A-Z, and Girlvana Yoga on Instagram as well. Um, and then Open has a funny Instagram, but that's O P underscore E underscore 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 N, but you can find it on my on my page. Um, and the book is available wherever books are sold. So they tell me. But um, if you're in Canada, it's definitely at Indigo and it's definitely online. Amazing. Well, Allie, thank you for your time. Thank you for holding space. Thank you for creating a lot more good in this world. And uh, I look forward to seeing you you know, when borders are open again. And until then, you know, following your journey um, with so much love and excitement. So thank you for all that you do and congratulations on your book. I'm so happy to see it in, in the world because the world needs needs this book. Thank you. It is such a joy to, to speak with you both. And um, it's just so refreshing. I, I, I've been doing lots of interviews and TV and things and, um, but not with anyone yet that actually know, knows me, knows me. Um, and so it's just so refreshing to, to just talk about past and, and present and, and future. And it's just been such a gift and helps me remember who I am and what I'm doing. So thank you for that um, today. And just love you guys, miss you guys. Big love to your families and your kids. And uh, I can't wait to come home to Canada. It's, yes. it's yeah, it's been a while. Awesome. You're off the you're off the track, Ellie Maz. Little inside joke. You're no longer on the track. You made it off the track. <laughs> off the track. <laughs> so good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was a real treat. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you guys so much. I can't wait to uh, to share this with the world. And um, yeah, it's such a special conversation. So thank you for being so thoughtful um, with all of those questions and, and reading the book too. So, so awesome. So good. All right. All right. We hope you enjoyed that one. Ali Maz, what a legend. 
Uh, be sure to check out her book, Girlvana. Check her out on Instagram at Ali Maz. Practice with her on Open. There's also um, amazing YouTube yoga flows that she has brought to you by Lululemon. So be sure to check them out. Connect with her. She's just a wonderful person. Support her work as she supports young women around her. And now, uh, stay tuned for a quick message from our friends at Mamas for Mamas. All right. I'm very happy to be joined with uh, Andrea Delph here today. Andrea is the executive branch director of uh, Mamas for Mamas, the Vancouver branch. And she's here today to tell us about Mamas for Mamas. Andrea. Hi, thank you. Um, Yeah, so I am the branch director for uh, Vancouver. And um, basically our organization supports low-income families and families in crisis. Um, And, you know, I think over the last year and a half, we've all realized that we're just one incident away from being in crisis. And it's been a really interesting journey to be a part of. Um, There was an awakening, I think, for us, um, those that needed support, um, got, got support and community that they've never really seen before. Tell us a little bit about uh, Mamas for Mamas as, as an organization, some of the work that uh, you all do in the world. How do you, who are the people you support? What, what are some of the things you deliver to them? We have programs. So we have, uh, for example, we have a BC Children's Hospital program. And what that looks like is um, social workers will reach out to us um, from all different departments of the Children's Hospital. And we will, uh, you know, hear the needs of the families and we will get a delivery out to that family within usually about 48 hours. Um, a lot of the families in in there are here with the shirts off their back, right? So with a severely injured or, um, or ill child, and they might live somewhere else in BC. We have a birthday party program. So if your child can't afford, if you sorry, if you can't afford to buy your child a gift for their birthday, or if your child's going to a birthday and you can't afford to buy their friend a gift, yeah, so we have we have a whole bunch of presents in our office, but we also um, we also understand that as the kids get older, it gets a little bit more challenging. So we can, you know, with the funding that we get through that program, we can, you know, buy them a gift that they would really love. So if someone's listening to this and they feel like um, I want to give family, you know, fresh produce, or I want to s- support uh, someone who is bringing home a newborn and needs diapers or formula or whatever it might be, where where do they turn? What can they do? What's the best way that they could help? Uh, well, the best way that they could help would probably be to donate through our, our website. So it's mamasformamas.org. That they can just click down and choose Vancouver. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> like, for example, the Sustainable Nourishment Program, it's about a, if you wanted to support a family, it'd be about $100 a month. So it's not too much. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but then, I mean, and any dollar amount counts, like... You know, and we also provide a tax receipt for any donation over $25 as well. That's so cool. And I guess equally so if someone was uh, a person in need or knew of a family in need, they could just direct them to your website? Yeah, our website or uh, they could call our office um, as well. Um, 604-275-3969 is our office number. Um, and, you know, we also have a very active Instagram account, which is mamasformamas.vancouver. So they're, you know, you can absolutely reach out there. Um, yeah. Awesome. That sounds so good. We, yeah. uh, we love, we love Mamas for Mamas. We know Maisie, who's yeah. local here and connected us. Yeah. Um, and we're so, we're so grateful for the, uh, the awesome work that you're doing. 
and just wanted to give you give you an opportunity to share because we think uh, we believe in it, we celebrate it, and it just fits with um, doing not just a little more good, but I think a lot of good for families in need. So really appreciate you. So be sure to check them out um, on Instagram, mamasformamas.vancouver, and uh, check out the website, Mamas for Mamas. If you just Google it, you'll find it, and you can uh, you can donate there. You can see and read more about what they're about, their story, uh, the amazing people involved. Um, yeah, and uh, be sure to find ways to help help out and do good in the world, friends. So thanks so much, Andrea. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.